Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We thank you so much for this letter that we're going to explore today, God. We just pray that you would speak to us through your word. God, we we pray for all those families that are just mourning and hurting and are coming into uh, this place with so many different distractions, so many different things, God, that are on their hearts and minds. We just pray for peace. We just pray for the hope that only comes through your son, Jesus And we give you all glory and all thanks. It's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. As we jump in this morning, um, we are in the book of Romans. And uh, Romans is actually a letter. Some people will call it one of the greatest books that we will find in the New Testament. Some people will say that it is the greatest letter that has ever been written. And uh, so we are going to be exploring this. Paul, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about him in a moment, but Paul wrote and sent this letter to the city of Rome and to its churches in approximately 56 AD, or around roughly 56 years after the birth of Jesus. Paul is writing to clusters of house churches in that city, Um, And Paul has not been to Rome. This is one of the few churches that Paul will write to that he did not establish this church. It it was up and going and Paul found out about it and heard about it. um, And he was so excited about what they were doing that he wanted to write them a letter of encouragement. Also, he knew about some of the things that were going on in this city. And so he wanted to give them some advice In AD 59, Emperor Claudius expelled all Jews from Rome, blaming them for all kinds of disturbances that were going on in the city. Some say that it were actually the Christians that were stirring up problems, not problems that that you and I might think were problems, but they were just doing things not the Roman way. And because of that, it was causing some disturbances in the city. And so Claudius didn't like all the love and peace and hope that these Christians were doing. It was not uh, part of the Roman culture. And so he had them exiled out of here. And so he just exiled the Jews. And and so what this meant is that uh, the churches, these small house churches that were developing, were predominantly being led by Gentile Christians. This would be baby Christians, new Christians. And and so... um, the churches began to look very different over time than how they looked when they were being led by the Jewish Christians that were living in Rome. In AD 54, upon Claudius's death, the Jews began to return to Rome. And what the Jewish Christians began coming back to, they found that uh, the church that they had when they left, didn't look the same as it did when they returned. And the church and the the form of Christianity that they were practicing in their exile did not look the same as when they came back. So Paul, the author of this letter, writes to a divided church. Paul is the author of Romans, and we know quite a bit about Paul's life from the book of Acts and from his other letters that he writes in the New Testament. Paul was once a person who opposed Christianity and Jesus, Uh, but he had an encounter with Jesus on a road, and that event changed his life. And as we go through this entire book of Romans, we'll learn more and more about Paul's past and his life. With everything that we know about Paul, I think that he probably does the very best job of identifying himself and describing himself for his audience 
in his very first verse of chapter 1 in the book of Romans. So let's look together at Romans chapter 1, verse 1. I encourage you, um, throughout this entire series, we're going to be really in the book of Romans. And so if you want to grab your Bible or your app or the Bible that's in front of you in the pew, and you want to turn to Romans chapter 1, we're going to be there together. Let's take a look on the screen or in your Bible. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now, in some versions, some translations, the word servant will be translated as literally slave. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel, or as we'll allude to in a second, the good news of God. Now, this, this opening phrase, is, it, it really just kind of it hits me. In one short verse, what we have here is the makings of what we could use for an entire message. Here, Paul identifies himself as the writer, as a servant or as a slave of Christ Jesus. And I just wonder, if you were going to be introducing yourself to a group of people for the first time, if you were going to be writing a letter to someone for the first time, would you identify yourself as a servant of Christ Jesus. Would that be the thing that came to mind? If, as you go and you introduce yourself to someone, could you call yourself a slave to Christ? That's what Paul does. That's what he wanted to be known for. It's the thing that sticks out the most for me. He also refers to himself as an apostle, called to be an apostle. This gives him authority to speak into the church of Rome. This identifies and sets him apart as someone who can give guidance to a much-needed culture. Paul, as he is writing, identifies himself as set apart for the work of God, specifically to spread the gospel. The gospel literally means good news. That's what that word means, good news. And so as we think about, uh, we typically refer to the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, We usually refer to them as the gospel. And what that means is that these books contain the good news specifically about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Paul is writing to a church that is divided. Paul's answer to this division is in its simplest form throughout the book of Romans is to tell a fully detailed explanation of the gospel or this good news of Jesus. That's what he does. I want you to think about this. Do you believe that we live in a nation today that has division, that, that is divided? And as we think about a place that more and more so is at odds with one another, a lot of people offer a lot of opinions about what the cure is, what the fix would be to unite us here in America. Paul's decision, Paul's remedy for the division that's happening in the churches in Rome is to fully detail out the message of Jesus Christ and the hope that he brings through his life, death, and his resurrection. And I wonder if given some time to explore America and the state that we're in right now, good, bad, or indifferent, 
and to look at the division that we face, what would Paul write to us today? Maybe it would be very much the same as what he writes to the church in Rome. A fully detailed explanation of the good news of Jesus. His life, death, and resurrection. Because Paul knows, and this is key, Paul knows that the power of the gospel is the power of unity. That it unites and doesn't divide. And so that is what Paul's intention is. In the midst of the division and in an attempt to point this Roman church to the unity that they already have in Jesus, Paul lays out an explanation of the grace that Jesus brings through his death and his resurrection. Paul lays out a reminder of our sin and the death that we have outside of Jesus and shares the hope and the peace that we experience with Jesus. That's his goal. His goal is that he looks at a church that's a little bit broken, it's a little bit divided because you have two different people groups who are trying to do things two different ways and his explanation is that I'm going to just point them to Jesus. In other words, Paul's explanation through the book of Romans is that unity comes from the common bond that we all share, that we are desperately in need of a savior. And we only find that through Jesus Christ. So he continues his introduction with an explanation of the gospel. Now what we have making up these two Roman, these Roman churches that are divided are two people groups with two very different worldviews. These two worldviews are worldviews of privilege and of power. Power and privilege. Power, speaking into the Roman world, founded upon social status, about their culture being the strongest, uh, strong versus weaker. Romans were proud of the empires that they had built. And they placed a high value on their status. Privilege, speaking into the Jewish culture, who prided themselves by their descendants being part of the nation of Israel and people like Abraham and King David, for them, their connection was to their heritage and to the law that they attempted to hold. Power and privilege. You know, as Paul writes this letter to this group of Christians, it happens in a time around a period in history called Pax Romana. Pax Romana is a Latin word. It means peace in Rome or Roman peace. And as this letter is being written, Rome, for the most part, is at peace, meaning it's not at war with other places. But Paul saw a war that was going on within the church. And while the nation may not have been in a battle, there was a battle that was happening amongst these two people groups over this power and this privilege. And Paul wanted to speak in and show where true peace comes from. Not a peace about wars, physical battles, but a peace that could be had through shared commonality in Jesus. 
Most of us operate out of these two worldviews as well. We are not unsusceptible to the draws of power and of privilege. It's power that makes us feel as if we need to tear other people down. I don't know if you've ever done this, but it started for me on the school bus and it's gone all the way with me through the rest of my life. This idea that by putting someone else down, you make yourself feel better. We do it. We tear other people down so that we might feel better because we love that power. Power in building our own little empires, right? The things that money can buy, the houses we live in, the social status that we have, the feeling of being important or superior. When it comes to our faith, it's that power that uh, we can do it on our own. We can get through whatever it is and we don't need the help of anyone else. That's our own personal power. We love the power to identify and to define our own terms when it comes to how we're going to worship and and how we're going to live. Privilege is involved in thinking that we deserve something more than someone else. Could be because of our name, could be because of where we were born, could be because of a number of different things, but we feel privileged like we deserve something. Privilege operates like this. There's something about who I am and where I come from that puts me ahead of others. And we all do it. We all feel it. We all live it. Privilege leads us to measure faith through the things of our past or our current efforts. Perhaps it's because we've been on a long line of church-going families. Whatever it is, my faith background affords me the right to do as much or as little as I think that I'm required. My heritage is enough. And these are the battles that were happening in these Roman churches The Romans felt like, hey, we were doing this without you. We were able to get through this without you. We're doing just fine without you. Jewish Christians believe that we are the answer. We are the heritage. We are the people that God spoke about. We are the people of Israel. You can't do this without us. And so they were at odds with one another. It's into this worldview about faith in God that Paul speaks in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And so I want you to look at it now. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. He continues on, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul says a couple key things here. First of all, I want you to understand and see that Paul says boldly, I am not ashamed. He's not ashamed of the gospel. The simple gospel, the truth about who Jesus is, that is where he gets all of his confidence. But I want you to see also that he says, the power of God brings salvation to everyone who believes. Paul is bringing unity into this. He is saying, look, this is for everyone. This word, everyone, is a uniter, and it is 
trying to speak into two different people groups and say we are together on this. From the first to the last, from the Jew to the Gentile, we all find our salvation through one thing, and that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That is where our power comes from. Paul boldly proclaims a message for the church in Rome to hear. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Why is Paul so confident? Where does this confidence come from? It comes from in a world, it comes into a world that's full of shame and doubt. When I was 18, I was entering into my first year of Cincinnati Bible College. And at the time, I was in a real wrestling match with God over my faith and my future. I wasn't sold out to the idea of going into ministry. There was just so much fear and uncertainty that was going on. I just, I wasn't committed. And I was afraid. And so when people would ask me what I was doing or where I was going, what I was studying, I would give this very vague answer. I'd say, I'm going to Cincinnati. Knowing full well that they would assume that I meant the University of Cincinnati when I was actually referring to Cincinnati Bible College. I just didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to deal with the questions. I didn't want to explain what Bible College meant. I was afraid. I was ashamed. It's sad for me to admit that as I stand here today thinking about that time in my life. It's embarrassing to know how weak and timid I was. I lacked confidence both in myself and the power of Jesus in my life. Have you ever felt ashamed? You ever had fear when it came to owning up to what Jesus was doing in your life? You ever been afraid to talk to somebody about God or Jesus? You ever hid? We do it all the time. Sometimes in our faith, sometimes we're ashamed of other things. Sometimes we're ashamed of the house that we live in or the car that we drive or the job that we have. We don't want to tell people. Sometimes it's about being out of work or something that happened at work. Paul boldly says, I am not ashamed. Why? How can he do that? Because of the resurrection the good news of Jesus. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Look at that last part. He believes that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Paul had a confidence in a season where I was weak and ashamed, Paul declares that he is bold and full of confidence. Paul's confidence comes from the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection proves his power, the same power that brings grace and hope to a people like me and a people like the people in Rome. So to a divided people, people who agree on very little, who both feel a claim of being right, Paul writes a message of hope, a message of unity that is based on the power of Jesus and the grace that he brings to everyone. 
Let's skip back a little bit. I want to show you Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. I just want to remind you, in the midst of this, in the midst of their division, in the midst of what he's trying to accomplish, I want you to hear Paul's words. He says, first, I want to thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit, is preaching the gospel of his Son. Is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Even in the midst of their conflict, even in the midst of their failings, Paul reminds them that their faith is being talked about around the world. Paul is encouraging them. Rome's the center of the world, and at this time, the fact that Christianity was growing in the most unlikely of cities in a world is only a testament to the power of God. And so Paul communicates his love for the church and for what the church is doing specifically, and this church and what they are doing. Paul reminds them that he's been praying for them. And sometimes in the midst of our failures and sometimes in the midst of our lack of courage, what we need is somebody who's alongside of us just to speak life into us. I had that in my life and it's why I'm able to be here today because I didn't rest and remain where I was. I had people who continued to breathe into me and encourage me along the way. Paul reminds them how desperately he wants to be there and visit them. He continues on in verses 11 through 13. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. See, he identifies and knows. He's like, look, you need something. You need something that's going to help strengthen your faith. Your faith. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be aware, brothers and unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. Paul is encouraging them, and he's saying, look, I want to be with you. I want to impart some strength into you. He says, I want us to be mutually encouraged by being together. He says, I want to be there in person to help unite this divided church to being one. Paul's message is that we have more in common than what separates us. In a sea of uncertainty, let me, give, let me encourage you with strength that comes from God, not yourself. Power, real power, the power that Paul wants to talk about, power is identifying and seeing what God is doing in you. And that's what Paul points them to. He says, look, I want you to see the power that you have. You are impacting the world. And it's not because of anything that you're doing. It's because of what God is doing through you. The New Living Translation, I love the way that it puts this in Romans chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. He says, For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news. 
Paul says, look, I want to come and I want to visit you so that I can preach the good news. He says, Jew or Gentile, educated, uneducated, wealthy or poor. He says, that doesn't matter. He says, we are united and I want to come to you so that I might impart on you the good news of the gospel. And there's implications for us in this. The heart of Paul's message and the heart of the good news from our Father in heaven. Remember these two people groups brought together in these house churches under the banner of Jesus? The Jews who considered themselves better because of where they came from and the Romans who believed that they were stronger. Why so eager for Paul to get to get to Rome? Why, why did he want to come and deliver this message of good news himself? Because power and privilege don't cut it. Because pedigree and intellect don't matter. Because your religious obligations or actions and your heritage mean nothing. Your confidence to build your own version or your own relationship with God is powerless. They don't build your confidence and they don't actually lead to your shame. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it, the gospel, is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Paul denounces the worldview of power and of privilege. And so Paul writes, I am not ashamed. Do you have that in you? Students, are you able to walk onto your campuses and say, you know what, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed that that I attend church. I'm not ashamed to to bring my Bible in here. I'm not ashamed to pray before my meals. Are Are you willing to, as we talked about last week, to carry that into your workplace? Are you willing to say, I'm not ashamed of who I am and that I am a follower of Jesus, a servant of Jesus Christ, first and foremost above anything else? You willing to take that into your family and, and say that for once and for all, our family will be built on the hope that we find in the gospel of Jesus. Not on our identity about our academics or our sports or where we go to school, but this family will be founded on the gospel and the hope of Jesus. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. In Romans 1.17, just a reminder, right? We, we've looked at this several times. Just a reminder. For the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. God's goodness is revealed in the gospel. A righteousness that is by faith. From first to last. Just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. It's, it's not about anything that we do. It's not about anything where we grew up. It's not about anything other than our faith in Jesus. Paul states that our identity is not found in our heritage or our ancestry. Paul states our identity is not found in our city or in our status. Paul states that our identity is found only in Jesus. And that's beautiful. That our status would be found only in Jesus. If you're going to be helping with communion, I just ask that you go ahead and go get ready for that right now.
The gospel that Paul lays out throughout the book of Romans is a declaration that on our own we fall short. That we need a savior and that in Jesus and only in Jesus can we find life. Paul began his letter in this beautiful way, identifying himself and, and, and calling himself a servant of Jesus Christ. We're going to put it up here on the screen. And, uh, and I would just ask if, could you say this? W- would you be willing to say this? For me, it would look like this. Kevin, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be a son and set apart for the gospel of God. I wonder if that could be your proclamation today. Could you proclaim that? That you are a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be a son or a daughter, and set apart. Do you believe that? That God has set you apart to share the gospel, the good news about what Jesus is doing to a broken world. Paul wanted to unite a church in Rome. And not under Roman Empire, not about, it it had nothing to do with Rome. It had nothing to do with the heritage of their Jewish ancestry. It was about one thing. Paul wanted to unite a people around the gospel of God, the good news about who Jesus is. There was a time in my life when I wouldn't have been able to say that. I was ashamed to declare that. But today, I stand with confidence and declare and proclaim the good news about what Jesus is doing, not only in my life, but in the world. I'm able to say, I'm not ashamed. Are you able to say, you're not ashamed? This morning, maybe you come in here and you don't know what it means to be son or daughter of God. You've never experienced what it means to accept the good news of Jesus. And we would love to have a conversation with you. There's going to be so many opportunities as we go through this book of Romans for us to call out and show, because the entire book is about how we're dead on our own and how Jesus is the only hope that we have. I mean, that's the book in a nutshell. And so when we come to places like this, we pause and we just remind you that if you haven't accepted Jesus, we would love to have a conversation with you about what that looks like. You can mark that on your connection card. You can come down front and you can pray, pray with our prayer partners. You can come and find me because I would love to walk you through what it looks like to be a son or a daughter of God. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus. I thank you so much for the good news that we find through Scripture, that we have life because of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.